I'm Chris Reback. And I'm Tegan Goddard. You're listening to the free version of Trial Balloon. Visit trialballoon.fm to get new episodes every week and more. Tegan, February 3rd, 2023 was a great day in American history. We are one year in. Congratulations to us. Happy birthday to Trial Balloon. Yes. One year, Chris. They said it couldn't be done. <laughs> they may wish that it couldn't have been done, but it has. And more seriously, great thanks to the folks who listen. We get the emails and the texts and the letters that come in. We have one today, and we really, really, really appreciate the feedback. We particularly like the positive feedback, but we do pay attention to the constructive criticism as well. But when you're in, is this what you thought it would be, Tegan? What's better than you thought? What did you hope we'd be doing that we're not? What has surprised you? Well, to be honest, I don't really want to go back and listen to episode one, two, or three. I think that we've probably gotten better at this. So I'm going to ignore that those exist, although listeners can go on their podcast app and check it out if they really want to. And you can actually count up to see if we've actually done 52 weekly episodes because it's kind of hard for me to believe it's been 52 weeks. Yes. Although, have we done 52? I did not go back and count. I know it's been 52 weeks. Did we miss one week? Is it 51 episodes? Will this be our 53rd? This is our 52nd episode. As I started up the software that we use to record, it is labeled episode 52. So okay. there we go. Okay, there you I go. I wonder if there's anyone out there who's listened to all 52. Well, there's there are a couple of parents. I'm not even sure our moms listen to all 52. But, I don't um, know. They're, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. They've listened to a few, but... We can usually count on them. I will say we've hit on the thing, what has gone better than I thought it would is our consistency. I think you and I both were worried, what do we do with travel? when other events get in the way. You know, you and I already are in two different places. What happens when, for example, you're in Nepal and I'm in New York, or I'm in California and you're in New York. And thanks again to the mailbag, we've been able to record some episodes in advance, but we've been consistent. This has come out every Friday morning. I think there was one or two times where we came out a day early based on a couple of news events. But the consistency, maybe we've been consistently mediocre, but we've been consistent about it. Well, I think that's right. I think what we owe thanks to though, Chris, because of all of these scheduling issues and travel and the rest, we should be just thankful for the internet because the internet makes it possible. So anyway, thank you, internet. I actually think the internet may catch on here as a thing that people use. And so uh, thank goodness for that. Bold prediction, but yes, thank you to the internet. Thank you also to Kip, who makes this show happen. I know you and I both agree, makes us both sound better in the post-production than we sound in the live recording. So great thanks to Kip. Definitely. Um, you know who else we need to thank? <laughs> Who's that, Chris? Taylor Swift. Outstanding. Do we get to talk about Taylor Swift on our anniversary show? Tegan, you and I both, being sincere, have great respect for Taylor Swift what she's accomplished, what she does, the influence she has. I mean, it's unbelievable. She's pretty incredible. Should we be talking about her on a politics podcast or are you just desperate for listeners? <laughs> Normally, I would say we wouldn't talk about Taylor Swift. And you want to know something? Taylor Swift probably wouldn't seek to be talked about on political podcasts, but 
Donald Trump and uh, his supporters have kind of flipped the script now, and they want to talk about Taylor Swift. They think that Taylor Swift is part of a massive conspiracy, a massive Democratic plot to somehow rig the Super Bowl, have Taylor Swift, according to the way it goes, Taylor Swift is going to come out at halftime and endorse Joe Biden during the Super Bowl when obviously so much of the world is watching. So we'll see if that happens, but I tend to doubt it. Well, my guess is that Usher will have something to say about whether she gets any time at halftime, because I think that that's his spot. But more reasonably, because look, you and I talked about this a little bit earlier this week. Why is it relevant to be talking about Taylor Swift? I mean, it's silly, maybe funny. It's certainly ridiculous. Is it newsworthy? Is it meaningful? Does it matter? Well, I think it matters because Donald Trump supporters are talking about her. I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy, who obviously was supposedly a presidential candidate and has now endorsed Donald Trump, he's the one who first raised the idea that the Super Bowl would be rigged suggested this whole idea that the Super Bowl itself, America's most popular sporting event, was going to be rigged in favor of Joe Biden and the Democrats. And so when people talk about that and they talk about staging a Super Bowl so that Taylor Swift can endorse Joe Biden, it indicates a couple things. One, it indicates that Republicans are, or Donald Trump supporters more precisely, are worried about the effect of an endorsement by America's most popular entertainer. That's the first all. It also sheds light on their reliance on conspiracy theory and this crazy thing that's happened with conservative media, which encourages these types of conspiracies and these types of plots in order to obviously drive clicks and drive viewership on Newsmax and on Fox News. And the Republican Party has become so needy for that attention that the Republican Party has become this too under Donald Trump. And so I do think it's worth talking about. I mean, do I think that a Taylor Swift endorsement is going to swing the election one way or another? Maybe on the margins, maybe if Taylor Swift got more women to vote because she has been particularly vocal about women and girls not necessarily benefiting under Donald Trump, which is why she endorsed Joe Biden four years ago. I don't think that Taylor Swift's going to be that big a deal. But the fact that Donald Trump supporters are talking about Taylor Swift, you can't turn on Fox News without hearing about Taylor Swift this week. Yeah, I think it's worth talking about. You can turn on neither Fox News nor Trial Balloon without hearing about Taylor Swift. So I think there are two things going on. One is, yes, to deflate any power that a Taylor Swift endorsement may or may not have, start talking her down, start making her be part of the crazy or appear to be part of the crazy or say she's part of the crazy. And maybe they hope that that takes that down a little bit, maybe some incentive. I think the core incentive is just the crazy, is just to muddle everything. Everything has to be muddled because that sets the predicate that you just can't believe anything. There's nothing that you can believe. And in a world where nothing is to be believed, you can believe me. You can't believe anything else because everything is crazy out there. Elections are rigged. You win states, you lose states. They say you lose states, but you really won the states. You can't believe anything. And Taylor Swift becomes just another avenue to muddle everything so that you can believe nothing. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Insofar as Taylor Swift, though, I will say something 
which I have to say a couple of years ago, I don't think I ever would have said, but I wholeheartedly agree. you have agree. a Taylor Swift tattoo? <laughs> I do not, but I, I wholeheartedly agree with Liz Cheney when she said this week, Taylor Swift is a national treasure. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. I'm not a Swifty, Chris. I don't listen to a lot of Taylor Swift. I actually started trying to listen to some of her albums to see if maybe I was missing something, and it's not for me. But I do think that she is a national treasure, and the fact that she has energized so many millions of people, and she has given them great entertainment pleasure, and the fact that people like Taylor Swift, I think, is really interesting. There are many times over the last year that many of us have said that I never would have said this a couple of years ago, but I agree 100% with what Liz Cheney has just said. There's several times over the last year, at least, that that has occurred. I feel comfortable that we have reached our Taylor Swift quota for the day, maybe not the year, maybe not year two of Trial Balloon, but definitely for the day. And the next big topic that I wanted us to be able to talk about is immigration and the border. And we'll get into this with a mailbag note from Simon D., who said to us, I would very much appreciate if you'd discuss Biden's statement on the passing of the immigration law on your next trial balloon podcast. I feel this is quite a moment for him and his campaign stepping directly into the fire that the Republicans are trying to blowtorch him with and taking on a disjointed Republican Party head on. Most Democrats tiptoe and skirt around difficult topics that the right likes to rage on them. But after waiting for Trump and Johnson to stake their positions, he's coming at it head on and throwing the challenge right back at them. It's refreshing to see some bold politicking, and it's going to be fascinating to see how both the Republican House and Trump gymnastic their way through this. So Simon sent that note to us about four days ago. Since then, Heather Cox Richardson wrote that Axios reported just the other night that the border measure on which a bipartisan group of senators has worked for four months is on life support after former President Trump urged his supporters in the House to block it so he can run on the issues. Senators are still holding out hope that they can get it through, blaming misinformation about the bill whose text has not yet been released. The attacks on the measure are revealing the increasing extremism of the Republican Party. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell appointed Senator James Langford of Oklahoma, who is well-liked and is known as a calm conservative, to lead negotiations for the party. Suddenly, Langford finds himself on the side Trump and his followers oppose. Langford is now under attack from within his own party. And as you posted, quote of the day today, February 1st, quote, the height of stupidity is having a strong opinion in something you know nothing about. I'm extremely disappointed in the strange maneuvering by many on the right to torpedo a potential border reform bill. If we have a bill that on net significantly decreases illegal immigration and we sabotage that, that is inconsistent with what we told our voters we would do. That was Representative Dan Crenshaw, the Republican from Texas, on Republicans vowing to kill the border deal before it's even released, which leads me to my question, have Republicans managed to give Democrats the immigration border issue? It's a remarkable turn of events. I 100% agree that that's what's happened here. It is a gift for Joe Biden, the way that this issue has turned out. If Joe Biden has a superpower sometimes, it's his patience 
on dealing with some of these issues. And maybe that's because he's been in Washington so long and he gets a sense of how these topics move through the media and through the American public. But his patience to let Trump and let Mike Johnson and let Mitch McConnell stake out their grounds before he kind of came in. I mean, I dare say it brings up that old term from the Clinton years called triangulation. But this has allowed Joe Biden to triangulate the immigration issue, an issue that was really, really troubling for him in terms of the perception that he was weak on dealing with the border and dealing with border security and the thousands and thousands of migrants that have come across the border. And this really allows him to shine a light on what's really happening here is there are Republicans like Donald Trump and like Mike Johnson who really don't want to do anything to solve this problem because they simply want to use it in the election. Then there are other Republicans like Mitch McConnell or James Lankford who are trying to do something like this or add Dan Crenshaw as well, who are trying to do something on this issue, who promised voters that they would do something. There is a bipartisan bill put together by these three senators, and it is now on the verge of dying before it even comes to a Senate vote. As we record this, Chuck Schumer has promised that there will be a procedural vote this week pertaining to this bill. We don't exactly know what that vote is. And he has said that by Sunday evening, there will be text out showing what this actual bill is. So Chuck Schumer is pushing forward as quickly as he can. Chris Murphy, the senator from Connecticut, who was one of the leaders on negotiating this measure, he doesn't necessarily think, according to his comments earlier today, he doesn't necessarily think this bill can go forward, mainly because Republicans are not in agreement on providing new funding for these border security measures. And what in the world do you do if you're James Lankford? He's in a terrible position because, you know, the Oklahoma Republican Party has already moved to censure him to suggest that they would do anything to defeat him even because the Trump wing of the Republican Party has effectively taken over the Oklahoma Republican Party. You're kind of screwed. You know, Lankford is like one of these guys who is literally just trying to create a bipartisan measure that could actually solve a public problem. And he's getting hammered for it back at home by his own Republican Party, as well as by Donald Trump and Republicans supportive of him who want to use immigration as an issue in the 2024 presidential race. I mean, he's absolutely screwed. And the incentives here are that no Republican really is going to move to solve any of these issues at this point. We had another example of it this week where Senator Chuck Grassley was talking about the tax bill that just passed in the House. And he said, we don't want to pass that in the Senate because that would only make Biden look good. So we're in a situation now where because of Donald Trump, Republican lawmakers don't want to do their jobs because that could potentially hurt Trump's election chances in 2024. It's a bizarre situation that we have, but it shows that this dysfunction in the Republican Party, we've seen that mostly in the House of Representatives this year with the changing of the speakers and all of the chaos that's happened there. But it has impacted the Republican Party in the Senate as well. And it's pretty much the Republican Party at all levels at this point is caught in between Donald Trump and trying to actually do what at one point many of these lawmakers thought was their job, which was pass legislation to fix problems. Should Nikki Haley be playing this up? 
Nikki Haley has obviously, as we discussed on the last episode, decided that she's going to stay in this race because who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? It's going to be very hard for her to win the delegates needed to become the Republican nominee, but perhaps Donald Trump has a health event. Perhaps Donald Trump is convicted of felonies. She doesn't know what's going to happen. So what she's done in South Carolina is she's kind of turned her focus and escalated her attacks on Trump. And yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see what Nikki Haley does. The problem is that Nikki Haley is trying to appeal to two sides of a Republican party, the James Lankford side, which is trying to pass a bipartisan immigration bill and the Donald Trump side, which doesn't want to do this. So she's kind of caught in the middle. I don't think she'll be successful if she bashes Trump for standing in the way of a bipartisan bill, but it might be worth it for her just to stick around a little bit longer, possibly raise money from Republicans who actually want the Republican party to do what they were elected to do. She is 100% like the kid in junior high gym class in the basketball game who's just like hanging around the rim, hoping to get a rebound. Chris Sununu said that, I think it was on CNN, and he literally said, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Trump? Who knows what's going to happen, of course, with these legal events? But I think, if I remember, he even kind of hinted at like, you know, he's an older person. You never know what's going to happen. It was something like that. There are two areas right now it feels like, I agree with you, Nikki Haley, we've all seen it, everyone has noticed, is having to play both sides of the Republican Party. She's trying to split the middle. Maybe she'll be able to do it. Who knows? There are two main areas that she's running on, it feels like, right now. One is grumpy old men, that Biden and Trump are crazy and grumpy and they're old men too. Trump in particular on the Republican side is unhinged and that he's really going a little crazy. Her argument is we just got to get back to working with each other. If she could find a way to thread this immigration needle, make it clear that this is exactly the problem while at the same time not completely offending the Trump right. And maybe that's just impossible. Maybe that's the whole point. It can't be done. Maybe there's some opportunity there for her. I should stop being surprised, but it is unbelievable to me politically that Republicans have managed to turn this issue that just weeks ago was a clear winner for them. They are trying everything they can to lose the immigration border game. It is remarkable what has happened to the Republican Party. And this is the difference between the two parties. And these issues just kind of highlight it. Is Democrats, whether you're Bernie Sanders or you're Joe Manchin from left to right on the Democratic spectrum, you still are trying to figure out a way that you can provide health care to the American people. Whatever policy issue you take, there is a consistency from left to right in the Democratic Party. In the Republican Party right now, there is the James Langford side of the party. You know, James Langford, always known as a very conservative senator, which is trying to actually solve a public problem, utilizing whatever skills he has and whatever ideology he has to come to a policy agreement. But there's this other side led by Donald Trump, which seems to be the majority of the party right now, which just wants to burn everything down and has no interest in actually solving problems. And it's more about scoring points or owning the libs or whatever terminology you want to use. But the bottom line is they're not interested in solving these public problems. And that's what Mike Johnson is facing, trying to be Speaker of the House and trying to pull together the Republican coalition. It's what Mitch McConnell is doing right now. And now James Lingford finds himself caught in this bind. And he's not the only Republican who's caught in this bind. You know, people like Bill Cassidy, the senator from Louisiana, or Mitt Romney from Utah. 
they've expressed the same concern that is playing out in real time. And you know, you read that quote from Dan Crenshaw, it's the exact same thing. But that's where we are right now. We have two parties, one which is really broken in half and the other in which there's consistency, but it doesn't seem like you can negotiate compromises between the two because half of the other party is broken. At its core, what's the purpose of a political party? Obviously, on one level to win, but what's the purpose of winning? The purpose up till now in over 250 odd years has been to govern. You get into politics, you become a public official for the opportunity to govern. And maybe you want to govern from a conservative point of view, like James Langford would. Maybe you want to govern from a progressive point of view, like people on the left and the Democratic Party would do. But you take the job, you run for office because you want to govern. But if you're part of a political party where the goal is specifically to not govern, then you're not getting anything done. And then when it turns out that there actually is stuff that people want to get done, that they're turning to government to solve, like, for example, an immigration problem at the border, if you are built for the express purpose to not govern, you're actually doing exactly what you're built to do. And it might turn out that that's not what people thought that you were going to do. They thought that maybe you were trying to get in there to govern differently. You know, that Grover Norquist quote, which obviously is so well known, and ever since it came out, it must be 30 years now. The Republican Party's goal is to uh, take government and drown it in the bathtub. This is the example. This is what that means, is having the issue that you allegedly really care about most. I mean, they say this is the number one issue. There is nothing facing our country more important than the immigration problem at the border, according to so many in the Republican Party. This is number one. And you have an opportunity to make a dent in your number one issue. There's nothing that threatens our country more than this. And to walk away to sabotage it, yeah, Crenshaw is right. Cassidy is right. Kramer is right. Romney is right. They're correct. Okay, enough of that rant. Final topic for today is fundraising. And maybe it's all related. Biden campaign builds big fundraising lead. You posted on Political Wire, a coalition made up of President Joe Biden's reelection campaign, the Democratic National Committee, the President's Joint Fundraising Committees, and his allied super PAC began this year with far more cash in the bank than any of his potential Republican opponents. The $140 million total represents a major advantage for the Democratic incumbent, even as Biden's campaign staff struggles to reassemble the president's winning 2020 voter coalition. That was from CNBC. You subsequently wrote, why Trump needs Nick Nikki Haley out now. With no credible primary opponent, President Biden and his allies have vastly outraised Trump and his affiliated groups. Haley is tapping mega donors like Ken Griffin and Paul Singer that Trump thinks should be giving to him instead. Meanwhile, Trump is draining his campaign funds to pay for tens of millions of dollars in legal fees across more than half a dozen different civil and criminal cases. Getting Haley out of the race is one way Trump could ease the pressure his campaign is feeling right now. My question to you is, is it too early to be worrying about money? Won't money be there for anyone who makes it to the final two standing? It's a valid question, I think, Chris. And the only reason it's important now, I think, is by that point that I made in the piece that you read, which is, we learned last night that Donald Trump spent $50 million in legal fees in 2023, and that over the last six months, he spent $30 million on lawyers. And now what's interesting about this, my first thought was, how can you spend $50 million on lawyers? 
Well, you could count up the various cases. He's got four criminal cases. He's got two very prominent civil cases. He's got all these extraneous appeals and things like that that are going on that are related to these cases. Maybe it takes millions and millions of dollars in order to pay your lawyers for this. But there's something else going on here, Chris, which is Donald Trump is paying for the attorneys for many of his co-defendants and many other potential people caught up in this web of cases. It is shocking to me that that is a legal activity, first of all. It's shocking to me that you can use campaign money to pay for these legal expenses, which are completely unrelated to your campaign. But nonetheless, you can do that under current law. I find it an important thing because I do believe that Donald Trump wants Nikki Haley out of this race because the campaign finance reports that were filed this week show that he has very little money left in those campaign coffers, that he needs to actually focus on the general election if he is to actually start raising money. Who wants to give Donald Trump money to continue to try to beat Nikki Haley when everybody thinks he's going to, but at the same time, Donald Trump needs these donations in order to fund these legal challenges that he has? It's an amazing situation. It's something that I need to do a little bit more research on and I would like to write about soon, but it is shocking to me that it is legal for Donald Trump to pay all these other people's legal bills in addition to his own, because I don't think you can get to $50 million unless you're paying for a lot of other law firms that aren't necessarily representing you, but they're representing you because you'd like to keep these people close to you. I would be interested in the history on that. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. Who wants to pay for Trump to beat Nikki Haley when it's presumed, presumably, he's going to win? But by the way, that's not a done deal. Who wants to pay for a candidate's legal bills? And who wants to pay for a friend of the candidate's legal bills? Like That's a bunch of stuff that I don't know why people would want to pay for it, but- I'll tell you why Donald Trump wants to pay for it. We'll just use one example. You remember Cassidy Hutchinson, who was the aide to Mark Meadows, Donald Trump's chief of staff. When the January 6th investigations were happening, Cassidy Hutchinson had lawyers paid for by Donald Trump. And she was seen as a reluctant witness at that point. And it wasn't until she actually got uncomfortable with that, changed her legal representation, that she essentially started telling the full story. And as you recall, that story was explosive. It was an extraordinary story that Cassidy Hutchinson began to tell once she was no longer reliant on Donald Trump's money for her legal representation. And that's why Trump is paying for these lawyers. It is outrageous that our legal system allows such a thing because it distorts the outcomes in these cases. So I'll have more to say on that in the coming days because it's a major problem that we have here. One that Trump is exploiting to his benefit, but also it gets to the core of why these campaign finance reports right now are important and that it is important that Joe Biden has a big lead over Donald Trump right now because Donald Trump's campaign money is being used for a lot of things that have nothing to do with running a campaign in 2024. Yes. To be clear, I understand why Donald Trump would want to do it. I look forward to what you have to say and what you find on why the legal system allows it. And let me just say, that's the first great reason why we're all excited that there is a year two of Trial Balloon. We'll get to hear more about Donald Trump's legal issues. Well, happy Chris, birthday. A, happy birthday, Chris. As the father of three, just as I'm the father of three, you know about the terrible twos, right, Chris? Well, yeah, it was <laughs> a long time ago, but yes, I do have memories. Well, you have memories. So let's see if we can make it through year two intact. It's going to be quite a year. Here's to the terrible twos. Bye, Chris. Bye, Chris. 